the reality is, is we are very, very close and you want to be prepared. You want to, you want to position yourself in everything that you need before you need it. So no offense intended, but if gold is not part of your strategy, if it's all based on fiat, then you're going to be in trouble because the fiat is going away. It's going away. They're going to transition us into a new fiat system, mm-hmm. but that means that they have to kill the old fiat system. That means that all of that debt that that's based on is going to have to basically go into a hyperinflationary inferno. Break free from modern day slavery. Live the freedom trinity of financial freedom. Time freedom and location freedom. Live in true fulfillment with a foundation of growth and balance in health, relationships, spirituality, and having fun doing what you love most. Let us show you the way. Welcome to Freedom Hack Radio. Welcome back to another episode of Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. And today, my friends, we have a very special guest to talk to us about the economy, macroeconomics, what the heck is going on in today's environment and what we can do about it and how we can collectively survive and thrive through this together. And today, joining me within this discussion is Lynette Zhang. Lynette Zhang began her banking career at a mere 15 years old. Her dedicated education and research led to the discovery of currency life cycle patterns and a deep understanding of the impact of those life cycles on all socioeconomic levels and asset classes. Lynette has been with ITM Trading since 2002 and is their chief financial analyst. Lynette's mission is to translate financial noise into understandable language and enable educated, independent choices. All her work is fact and evidence-based, and she shares these tools openly. She believes strongly that we need to be as independent as possible, and at the same time, we need to come together in community to survive and thrive through any financial crisis. Lynette, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here at Freedom Hack Radio. Welcome. Well, it's I'm very happy to be here, Bryce. It's good to see you again. Yeah. Yeah, it's great, mate. I mean, the last time we were having a discussion together was down in Miami at uh, mm-hmm. George Gammon's Rebel Capitalist Pro. I really, really just enjoyed your enthusiasm, your authenticity, um, you know, especially a lot of the topics that you talk about. It can be a bit like it can be a bit overwhelming sometimes, but you really, really are truly, truly passionate. And I'm getting tingles down my spine <laughs> reminiscing of the conversation because you are so passionate about helping people live independently and live free. And you're a perfect example of that. Thank you. Yes, I, I am very passionate about that. It just, you know, my favorite question, and I really actually hate this question, but it's my favorite one at the same time which is how many times can you be lied to when you do not know the truth? Mm. Yeah. I get very tired of all the lying. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to talk about that a lot today. And to switch the energies really quickly to begin off with, um, a place I always love to start. What is giving you the most gratitude today, mate? Oh, well, well, at the moment, I'm in my bug out house and I'm alone with my dogs and I have an incredible view. So I'm really, I'm really grateful. I'm actually, yeah, I'm very grateful that I, that March, 2020 happened and I was able to see the hole in my personal strategy and then able to fill it. And that's where I'm sitting right now. Yeah. So, so you're out at your bug out house. Mm -hmm. And um, why, why did you choose to go out there? Well, actually, we're going to be honest about it. I'm doing some redecorating in my house in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. And uh, plus, it's like over 100 degrees down there. So it's about 20, 30 degrees cooler up here. And it's very comfortable. I will still be going into Phoenix um, next week to, to film, but, uh, yeah, this is, and I'm doing a lot of work up here cause I definitely am a prepper. I mean, I see what's coming and I've been feeling like a lot of urgency. So some things that I wasn't going to do until next year I'm doing right now. Wow. Love to dig into that. I want to wind back the clock a little bit to start off with. Um, can you tell me what your childhood was like and how did that influence what you're up to these days? Wow. Well, um, that's a pretty, that's a great question. I am the youngest of seven. So I always had a tendency to spend a lot of time alone because I was mm. just a pain in the neck to everybody else. But um, I had loving and supporting family and my father was a developer in Kingston, New York. So small town in, in some would say upstate, but it was by the Catskill mountains. So I was always an ambitious child. And so I started working in a bank when I was 15 because he was kind of a bigger fish in a smaller pond. So I was able to, uh, to, uh, have the ability to do that. And I, I, like banking, but actually I have to tell you, okay. I mean, from as far back as I can remember. So when I was four, I was told that I was supposed to do something that had a positive impact on a lot of people. It wasn't a human being, like a person standing there and telling me that it was the energy. It was the universe. It was Whoever's so you, guiding you, these things. You'd call that a spiritual download. You were guided that that's what your mission was. Honest to goodness, I have been guided my entire life. So yes, with, without a doubt. And I didn't know what that was, but I did, you know, I was very close with my uncle who was a major antique dealer back East. And so he taught me about tangibles and he taught me about the ability to hold gold when nobody else could hold gold. And therefore you know, uh, protect your wealth. But more than that, you know, I was really, we think that these things are coincidence and they're never really coincidence. Mm -hmm. There's a much bigger plan for this. So I was in banking. I actually wanted to go to college at Elsa Williams School of Art in England. Well, my parents said, no, they really only gave me one choice of where I could go ultimately. And that was fairly Dickinson University. And that was fine with me. But I studied business finance because they really wouldn't let me study anything else. But 
<laughs> I liked banking. I said, okay, well, I'll just do that. I never really knowing that that's what I was supposed to be doing. So, you know, my childhood was very guided. I, this sounds weird, but I had imaginary playmates, the twins, and I didn't know any twins when I was a little girl and I have twin daughters. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, there are a lot of like these little kinds of things that I kind of always, I would just know about. And so, yeah, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that I've been groomed for this moment in time. That was even when I, we had, we had talked about the time that I lost my faith. Mm. That's the only time that I lost my faith. And that too was a test. I mean, we don't realize when we go through really hard things that there's a reason for them and it's not necessarily clear, but you know, I, I would say really in my childhood and, and growing up my young adulthood and my adulthood and now has all been pointing in the same direction. Yeah. This yeah, is what maybe, I was born to do. Maybe all of us get that, those types of potential downloads, but only some of us are actually in tune with it and picking up on it and taking action on it. And um, I feel it very strongly when I'm talking to you about it. And I know your mission is to help people massively live independently and bring communities together and thrive together through financial crisis. Yep. Which point in your growth and development did you realize that the system is broken? You know, I really, oh, that's a good question. You know, as, as a stockbroker, you know, in the eighties, I was with Shearson and there were things that, okay. I, I mean, I think that's probably part of it because they didn't really want us to think for ourselves. They wanted us to, and, and, you know, the Shearson, I went to Shearson cause they had the best training program on the street, like a two and a half year program. And they didn't really teach me how to read the technical language of the markets. They didn't really want me to really understand all of these different products. They, they really just taught me how to sell, right? I mean, that, that was really what those two and a half, it was fabulous and I appreciated every single day, but it was really not about understanding what was happening. It was about selling what they wanted me to sell, which as the youngest of seven and a very independent person never really worked well with me anyway. My mother could attest to that. <laughs> um, but if they want me to sell something and then I would dig into it and I didn't like what I saw. So I think I, I knew that the system was broken when I became a stockbroker, not as a banker, which I did prior to that, but really more as a stockbroker. That, that's when I think I really started to see the systems uh, for what they were. And it's, it's a heck of a rabbit hole. You know, I, I first came across fractional reserve lending and then quantitative easing and then took a deep dive and it was just, it's endless amount. And today I actually, I mean, you research this all the time and you're putting videos out consistently and I'm finding like, you know, maybe a few years ago, if I didn't catch up with the times for a week or two, not too much was changing, but now it's like, if you're not checking every day, major 
things are happening all over the place. So for yeah. our for our viewers that actually aren't as up to pace with what's happening with the macroeconomic environments, can you set a little bit of a foundation of the landscape, um, basically explaining some of the details of the house of cards that we're, we're in right now? Sure, because it is the it's it's the fractional reserve banking system is one of it but but it's the fiat money system fiat literal translation is by decree and bottom line is it's government based money but you see when we were on a gold standard the gold standard put restrictions around what a government could do plus, as far as taxation was concerned because if they wanted to tax you you know about it for corporations, they wanted to be able to pay you less. But if you were used to getting five bucks, you weren't going to accept two bucks. So they switched us and transitioned us into a fractional reserve system, which really uh, is about regulating the rate and speed of inflation. So when they talk about fighting inflation, that's just garbage. That's 100% garbage because their job is to regulate that speed. And, you know, so on a fiat money system in the 70s, we transitioned to a debt-based system and then the gold no longer kept uh, or created restrictions for governments. And inflation was baked into the system from the beginning. Because what they said, if you read the documents when they were setting things up, they knew that people marry the legal money of the state. So we've had dollars, even though they were once a gold dollar and then they were a fiat, but backed by gold dollar, then a debt backed dollar, right? If you keep the name the same, people, I can tell you in 1971, and I was there, I did not know that anything had changed with our dollar mm -hmm. when everything had changed with our dollar. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, so for corporations, if you look on the graphs, you can see that's when uh, in the 70s, 80, early 80s, as we were making the transition into the new debt-based system, that's when you started to see wealth and income inequality uh, start to really take root. Up to that point, if you were productive, your income rose at the same level of that productivity. But once we, once the central banks were in full control of inflation, which is what Nixon did when he took us off the gold standard, well, then that just exploded beyond what you could imagine, I mean, to where we are today, where you have the haves that have almost everything and all the rest of us that, you know, some of us have more than others, but there's, you know, most of the population has not fared well in this K-shaped recovery. And what people don't realize is that this is all by design. Their theories trickle down. So you give it to the top and then the bottom gets it, right? And the, and the central banks, whoever is closest to the central bank, meaning corporations, because the Federal Reserve is neither federal, nor do they hold reserve. Mm -hmm. It's a private banking cartel. So whoever is closest to the banking cartel, the central bank, gets the money the cheapest and when it has the most value. Because once it's issued, then inflation removes its value. So 
they really we're we're at the end of this, but it's really genius. It's evil genius, but it's really genius because essentially the population has been volunteering their labor. Because I think everybody now has been hearing about how it is obvious that the increase in wages, as great as those been have been lately, do not keep pace with inflation. Okay. They never have. And let me tell you something else that I find really interesting, which is the central bank's definition of price stability. Price stability doesn't mean that you and I pay the same thing for the same asset time and time and time again. Price stability is that a rate of inflation, so 2% of inflation, does not make the worker ask for more money. So it's wage stability, not price stability. But that's what they call price stability, is the rate of inflation that does not, uh, that the worker does not require higher wages to, to uh, pay. And there's, there's so much manipulation in the actual verbiage and the wording that gets used. And if you're naive to how a lot of these systems work and you're reading about it, it actually sounds like they're telling us very good news and they're going to come with their Superman cape and come and save the day. But we yeah. know that they're the ones actually creating the chaos and the mayhem yeah. to their advantage, to our disadvantage. They know all about it. They know exactly what's going on. And what worries me is by the time they're actually saying, oh, we have inflation that it's like it's starting to really get out of hand and you know i mean so right now where are we at we had a whole bunch of different presidents and prime ministers calling for a famine later this year um and you yeah. know we've, we've been preparing for this for years and we've been putting the word out this for years but the common person is just starting to understand that these things are going to be a possibility um what scares you the most about the coming years What scares me the most is what's going to happen to the general population because what I see is a hyperinflationary depression. That's what I see. So I see most people, and we, we've really been witnessing this really since 2008. The system really died in 2008. Um, but, you know, they talk about how all of their money printing, I mean, they don't take responsibility for what they're doing. They lie and they lie and then they lie some more. So they don't take any responsibility for all of the new money that and the cheap money that they created since 2008 and how that has reflated and pushed up their fiat money assets as well as real estate because that became a fiat money asset fully converted in 2018 when it got its own sector in the, uh, NAS in the stock market. Uh, so they have converted every asset into financial products. It's the financialization of the world. Look at the medical care that we get. Do we have our doctors that we know by name that we can call up and go, oh, there's a problem here? No, it's, it's all been medical care has been financialized. And if you aren't worth the money you are and you don't have the money to pay, you aren't going to get the care that you need. So everything, everything. And this really started, you could see it in the charts and the graphs. This really started back in the 70s, early 80s, 
as the whole globalization, as the, as the central banks took control of the whole system, mm. um, you know, it, 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 it's the hyperinflationary depression and what it's going to do the, to the general public that scares me the most, but it's also what makes me the most angry because none of it was necessary. Yeah. And after all, you know, what makes a country great is a strong middle class. Do we have a middle class anymore? It's a mess. And, um, you know, you said that none of this was necessary. Um, So much of what's happened that's being posed as a benefit to us, um, all of these checks that are being sent out to the general public, money that's being printed to save the day, all ends up being some form of taxation pushed back on the general public, whether it be price inflation, whether it be loss of asset asset values, um, just absolute chaos in the financial markets. Like in the beginning, I used to actually think with a lot of my research that all these different sectors and all these different industries are completely separated, but so much of it is intertwined behind the scenes. Industries that you would think would never be connected have some kind of connection behind the scenes. So I'm kind of scared at the capacity of what's actually going to happen when things start to crumble. I'm mainly uh, involved in the real estate sector. Um, We're seeing um, real estate prices through the roof. I'm mainly mobile home parks and self-storage. Competition is is really fierce out there right now. There's tons of single family homes being bought up by um, BlackRock, who is out there buying 20% to 50% over market, um, just buying people out of the market, buying lots of pieces on the Monopoly board. And I think that scares me the most about that is, is the CEO of BlackRock is also chairman of the board of the World Economic Forum, whose plan for 2030 is you will own nothing and be happy. And I just, which way are they going to go with real estate? There's a few things that I'm worried about. Are they going to buy 20% of the Monopoly board and then start increasing uh, rents and if they do that's bad for consumers or are they going to go the other way and bring rents down which is bad for landlords and then lock in rent controls and then buy more properties because landlords have to sell out of those there's a lot of different possibilities but the future is looking pretty grim in a lot of these areas and I'm, I'm not a specialist in any of the other asset classes uh, what are the some of the big moves that you're kind of seeing across the board here well, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of big moves, but I have done quite a bit of studying as to what happens to real estate prices or what happens to real estate period during these kinds of transitions. And, you know, you made the statement about BlackRock and BlackRock really solidified its position and took over a huge move after 2008. So this is not something that has just been happening Um, But, and again, real estate has been turned into a short-term financial asset. Now you're sitting on long-term assets, uh, BlackRock and Blackstone, two different companies, but kind of the same, have been going into mobile home parks where where you've been specializing and buying up everything. And I think we've all seen rents jumping like 20 and 30%. They Mm -hmm. want to get the old people out so they can that the old renters out so that they can then raise their prices, but it does become an affordability issue. 
once we go into hyperinflation, you know, there are some key areas that make it really um, scary to own rental property because, and we've already seen them starting to talk about rent control. Mm-hmm. Your prices, your cost, your insurance, and and all of the other property taxes, all of that, that's going to keep going up. But your ability to absorb those costs through rent increases are ultimately going to be lost. So you need to be able to, you know, I mean, we really weren't talking about strategy, but uh, based upon repeatable patterns and the way things happen with all asset classes during these transitions, even though I can't guarantee what's going to happen tomorrow, if something's happened 100% of the time and we're doing the same thing, I mean, maybe this time will be different, but my bet is it's not going to be different. Mm. So if you have those kinds of assets, what becomes a stone around your neck and, and positions your liability are two key things. And, and there's more to it than what I'm going to say. But number one, you want to have the ability to pay off that mortgage in a moment's notice. Because if you cannot, then they'll say, well, just, just put this property on this digital token that you can spend wherever and we'll, we'll give you this. So as you pointed out before, they come saying, oh, isn't this wonderful? But you didn't read the contract. You didn't write the contract. And I can almost guarantee you that that contract is not in your best interest. Yeah. So, and that's what the gold uh, does for you because gold is severely undervalued and they will, they will, meaning governments and central banks will have to reset that once all confidence is lost in the currency, then to gain that confidence back, they will reset and do an overnight revaluation, the fiat money. So in this country dollars, but it could be euros, yen, whatever. Excuse me, my dog seems to have been chewing a musical instrument. She's Uh a puppy. Uh Uh-oh, I know that feeling. I've got two puppies myself. (laughs) Um, well I think it's too big to go down her throat so it's probably okay but um, the the other piece Juliet here 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 (laughs) she's not going to give it to me now (laughs) but the other part is the property taxes because Mm. that's how you know states communities um, and local governments generate income to pay for all their programs So property taxes have a tendency to go up quite a lot when we get into this. So even if your property's paid off, then you can lose your house if you don't pay the property taxes. So those are the two biggest risks. Now, if you're using it to generate income, I mean, there's all parts of the strategy that we look at to ensure that you can maintain your income and therefore um, at and hold it to inflation. And therefore you will always, as a, as a real estate owner, be able to pay your property taxes and to be able to cover those increase in costs of holding. And I think that's critically important because too many people are highly leveraged, which was so encouraged, right? With interest rates at zero, and it works great on the way up, but it's extraordinarily destructive on the way down. So you need to be absolutely, in my opinion, 
diversified so that at a moment's notice, you can pay that mortgage off. You can continue to cover your costs. So maybe at that point, it's more important to have a good tenant in there that helps you maintain the property that, you know, shows up that you have some degree of flexibility and you don't have to push out a good renter, uh, but you can help them survive this. And then that creates a lot of loyalty on the other end. But th that's the biggest, those are the biggest challenges yeah, uh, that I see. We've taken a lot of that into consideration. We've like doubled, if not quadrupled our property taxes. We've added like 300 basis points onto our cap rates and our interest rates if we're going to refinance in a couple of years. Um, we're doing a lot of things to just mitigate for all the potential things that could possibly go down in the coming years. And it's hard to say the hardest thing that I find is the timing of this, because I actually thought all of this was going to come to fruition and crash back in 2019. I've got friends that have been waiting on the sidelines essentially since 2017. Um, how hard are you finding it to predict when this is going to happen? Because we seem to be pretty confident <laughs> of like, here's the potential things that will happen. I'm finding it really hard to like, it seems like they can drag it out longer and longer than I thought. Well, you know, I mean, insanity can stay crazy longer than we can think, but not forever. And I can tell you what is most likely to happen, but it's almost impossible for me to tell you it'll be Tuesday morning at 8.35, though mm -hmm. we could. Okay, so, um, you know, timing is really challenging, but you can also look at different things that are going on, like the transition that we have to make coming into, um, <laughs> this is my other security, this is one of my securities. All right. Oh, wow, that's <laughs> a big puppy. Uh, but... <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. It's a little, I'm a little, little off with all these animals. And I'm used to having people around me like Edgar and Megan, and um, they're not, neither one of them could come up here today. So you got me and I have to deal with all this myself. Oh, you're raw form. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's real anyway. Although she keeps chewing on that. It's one of those little shaker things. So oh, I can hear okay. the little noise that she's making, I'm pretty sure it'll be done by, it's destroyed by the time she finished. Can I ask you to ask me the question again? I'm sorry. Yeah, we we're, were basically just talking about how the heck can we predict the timing? Well, yeah. This is like a little hint, but uh, we've got the interest rates, the LIBOR, which is the interest rate benchmark that was created in the 80s. And I don't know, magically discovered that it was being manipulated in 2008 and nine. So they had to come up. So 2012, the Bank of England said, we are not going to use that benchmark anymore. And then there were a number of central banks that rushed to put together a new benchmark. In the US, it's called SOFR. But the transition from LIBOR to SOFR originally was supposed to take place in 2020 or 2021, actually. And they ran a test of it with 80 trillion contracts shifting from one to the other. And then it went dead silent as far as what were the results of that test. But three weeks later, they postponed it to 2023. So if they, if they could they postpone it again? There is that possibility, but I don't think that that is likely because it really undermines their credibility. Here's the problem. 
the value of these contracts based on LIBOR is different than the value of the contracts based on SOFR. And there are, last time I counted, 610 trillion, which dwarfs the global GDP of these contracts that need to transition from this benchmark to this benchmark. Can they do it? Personally, I don't think they can. Mm. And nobody else really thinks they can. And they had one heck of a time getting the markets, getting Wall Street and the banks to adopt it because it's supposed to be a market-based benchmark. And it kind of is, except that they eliminate a whole bunch of bonds in their interest rate moving items like bonds that don't count in there. So it's not a good benchmark. So I think that that could tip us over. You easily. think that could be one of the big indicators, like, you know, that transition? Yeah, because I don't think they can do it. They've never done it before, ever, ever, historically. And I don't think they can do it now. So I think that I think that alone could, you know, and that's coming up. That's why to me, 2022 is rather a pivotal year. Stop it. Oy, oy, oy. <laughs> All these little beads. Oh, oh that's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to see what she's done. I can only imagine my, my dog comes in while I'm recording podcasts sometimes and I've had him do like a number two in the corner and I'm like, I've got 10, 15 minutes left. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, buddy. You know, but I can't say anything. I've got to keep rolling. Um, it is the way it is, but I love dogs. They're great. She's and, uh, crunching loudly. So it's harder for me to ignore her. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that transition could be like a very huge indicator of something happening. When that happens, like how long do you think we have when one of these huge indicators kicks in until, you know, it's time to like duck for shelter pretty much? Let, let me put it this way. Um, things that I weren't, was not planning on doing until next year, I'm doing them this year. I, I think... I think we've got a major crisis in the offing. And so I think that we could see something sometime in 2023. I don't think it'll take too, you know, it's hard to say because the guys that create these derivative monsters that have to transition them, the reality is, is we are very, very close and you want to be prepared. You want to, you want to position yourself in everything that you need before you need it. So no offense intended, but if gold is not part of your strategy, if it's all based on fiat, then you're going to be in trouble because the fiat is going away. It's going away. They're going to transition us into a new fiat system, mm -hmm. but that means that they have to kill the old fiat system. That means that all of that debt that that's based on is going to have to basically go into a hyperinflationary inferno. Do you think that there's a point when that happens, when we're changing from our current US dollar to probably a new digital, you know, CBDC. Yeah, um, centrally controlled currency that we don't want, but it seems like it's probably going to be an inevitable in most of the Western countries because they're, they're all doing the same thing and working on the same plan. You think when that transition happens, a lot of the debt that exists is going to disappear and, and get wiped away? Um, or are we going to be left with, with, you know, picking up the pieces 
the general public. Oh, we're going to be totally left with picking up the pieces because the debt isn't just going to evaporate. If somebody owes you money, are you just going to go, and they're not your children, are you just going to go, yeah, okay, I worked hard for that. I gave that to you, but yeah, I don't care. No, it will be repaid with, and this is part of what we were talking about with the strategy, this debt is going to be repaid with dollars in this country that have absolutely zero value because mm. the whatever there's not much value left in there now. Mm-mm. And and here's the other part of it. We're already in the transition. This is not something that's new. We really started the transition back in 2008 because that's really when the system died. Mm. And the only thing that made it appear like there was any value to it was all of that money printing. And all that money printing, while the central banks like to say they didn't cause the inflation, which is absolute garbage, beyond belief garbage, what it did was it inflated all of these other assets. And so a lot of people got priced out of the markets, right? Mm-hmm. We were talking about before. That's getting worse because Blackstone or BlackRock is, or any of these corporate raiders, they're not working with their own money that they work for. They're working with Wall Street money. So what do they care how much something costs? And not only that, but after they buy it up, they turn it into, they securitize it, they turn it into a financial product, and then they sell it back to you. Yeah. So you're sitting with it in your 401k or your pension plan or your IRA or just your brokerage account, you're holding dynamite. So yeah. who do you think? The BlackRock, those guys, they got their money. Yeah, they've already sold the money when they sell to you. Yeah. So it's already happening. This is not something that I'm waiting for. The Mm. 100%, I came to ITM in 2002 because most of my formulas had confirmed where we were in this trend cycle and that we were at the end of this trend cycle. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I knew I needed to be in real money and hard assets, something that is easily portable and is truly outside of the system. And everybody needs to have that. Because look at what happened in Canada when they didn't like what the truckers yeah. were saying or doing. You were cut off. Yeah. If you had some gold or silver, you still would have been able to convert it into the local currency and buy food for your family. And even, dare I say it, pay your bills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, cash is trash. A lot of people are saying that. And in the environment that we're coming into, it's not going to be good for anything. It's depleting at at least 16% a year right now because of inflation, if it's sitting in our bank account. And, you know, looking at the price increases that are happening, it, it may not even make sense to buy anything in, in the near future or, you know, the concerns of even being able to get anything. Um, because there's so many supply chain disruptions. But, you know, gold and silver gives us a lot more flexibility, gives us a lot more bartering power. Um, And do you think that there's like a huge lag between asset prices dropping, inflation going through the roof, and then gold and silver picking up in value? Oh, 100%. -hmm. Or no, no, not picking up in value, picking up in price. Yeah, Because the value of gold, its most important function is to hold its purchasing power value over time. It performs lots of functions, but in my opinion, the single most important one. 
is to hold that value? And the answer is yes, because a rising gold price is an indication of a failing currency. And once you really get that this currency is failing, that's when you make those choices to accumulate gold and silver. Mm-hmm. And that's what you look at what the central banks are doing and they're accumulating it at the fastest rate ever. Why? Because they know what they're doing to the currency and all these fiat money products. We don't, but they do. So a hundred percent, why are they buying gold? Why? Mm-hmm. Right? And Warren, Warren Buffett, he's into gold stocks as well. It's not the actual real asset. He's got a lot more like money to throw out there, but still he was, he was pulling out of banks and, and coming into gold um, stocks. You know, we could talk about Warren because his father was, I think he was a senator or a congressman, but he was in government. And I know the I know if you read his his paper, which I don't remember the night the name of, but that's easy enough to search. Warren Buffett's father, uh, his seminal paper. He wanted the monetary system to go back on the gold standard. Mm. I mean, strongly, very interesting piece. So I personally know what his father. Pretty sure his father was preaching the same thing at his home. So my bet would be Warren owns a lot of gold and he's not physical and he's not going to tell you, but if he goes in and buys a gold mine or stock in any company, he buys it at the level that he can take over the company. It's not like, you know, you or me, and maybe we own a few hundred shares or 10 shares or whatever it is. And Hey, now you can throw your change into the stock market, you know, just round up, you go shopping and hey, you got 15 cents left, we'll buy you a fractional share, right? That, that's gotta be good. I'm pretty sure Warren does not buy fractional shares. He buys enough that if he wants to take control of the company and own all of those assets, he can easily do it. And that's a that's huge indicator. Uh, that that mind boggles me, even that not many people are talking about it. Some people are talking about it, but that move to pull out of the banks, remove those banks from his balance sheet and to reinvest that capital into gold stocks. Um, I think that is a huge indicator and a big move for sure. Absolutely. I, you know, I really, the time to get ready is before you need to be ready. Mm-hmm. Because if you wait, you know, people ask me all the time, well, when, when is this going to happen? I, I bought my gold and silver and now it's done nothing. Well, you have to understand, number one, why you bought it to begin with. Did you buy it for a trade because it's going to go up in terms of dollars? Then you're going to have to wait. But by the time you convert it back into those dollars, when it goes to 350000 an ounce, or wherever it's going to go, because that's just a number. It's meaningless, really. But you're not going to want to convert it back into dollars unless you are then going to convert those dollars into uh, a new trailer park or a new storage facility, Yeah. right? So just for a heartbeat. And my personal strategy was on the other side of this mess when there was a currency that had a component of gold in it, because that's another thing that happens 100% of the time. 
governments have to get your confidence again, and you already have no confidence in them by that point. So they use gold to do that and get you to use the currency again. And I used to think that I would convert a lot of my gold holdings into, you know, into that new fiat. But with what I'm seeing them do with the CBDCs, uh, central bank digital currencies in the digital world, because, and I'll, and I'll tell you why, my favorite website, and you know, you've seen my work, so you've seen this, is the FRED, Federal Reserve Education Department, right? Because I think we're a little bit more honest than anywhere else on their sites. Mm -hmm. And there's virtually no purchasing power left in the currency. You mm -hmm. and I just don't, well, I realize it, but most people just don't realize it because they go to the store and they buy stuff. And that loss of purchasing power is speeding up. Well, officially, we're at three cents. What happens when officially we get to zero? Where do we go from there? Yeah. That's yeah. the packing principle. That's what negative rates are. Yeah. Yeah, that's scary. So can you touch real quickly? I want to go to diversification in a minute. Before we go there, um, can you touch on the actual definition of hyperinflation? Because right now we've got inflation. The Fed's saying it's like seven, seven and a half percent. I think it's more about 16. What do you think it is to start off with? Oh, and I think right now it's it's closer to 16, but in food, I think it's closer to 40. And yeah. shelter, I think it's closer to 30. Yeah. So it's just apparel, maybe. <laughs> And like you said, the wages are not increasing to keep up with it. It's not like it's an even match. It's 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 going to get to a point where most Americans before all the COVID lockdowns were already living paycheck to paycheck and maximum had three months savings. Um, and that's probably, if they were lucky. Yeah. And that's probably gone now. So it's probably been milked out through the through the lockdowns and all of that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it's, I don't know how much further people can go. Um, technically, when are we in hyperinflation? Well, the official number is 50% inflation. Okay. Gets us to hyperinflation. But how much pain do you think you're going to feel all the way up there? Yeah, yeah. And the retail numbers came out today. And they're saying how great, you know, the, the public is still shopping. You know, they're not seeming to be impacted by inflation. And I think that's a whole lot of garbage too. Yeah. You know, it looks good because they're paying these inflated prices, but how are they paying those inflated prices? They're either going through what little bit of savings they have left or they're putting it on credit cards, on credit. Yeah, you know, that's not sustainable. Partner. That's not sustainable. Yeah, try no. and keep up with 50% price inflation while you're paying it back at 25% interest. <laughs> It's just so I'd say that's hyperinflation right there. Wouldn't it you? Is. It is, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's like exponential growth too. I mean, it's it's already starting to happen quickly. And the further we progress along, the quicker it's going to happen, the deeper we're going to get real quick, kind of like quicksand. Exactly. Um, yeah. So what would you say is a uh, uh, good diversification? How do you diversify? You know, what could the average person look at as being a decently diversified portfolio for currently where we are in our economic cycles and where you believe we're going? That's probably not a great question to ask me. 
because I understand too much about what's going on. So I personally do not, nor have I for a while now, own any stocks or bonds or annuities or mutual funds or ETFs or any of that garbage, mm -hmm. because I actually understand what they are. They're not so real. I can't, pardon? They're not real. No, they're not real. So the way that I have personally diversified is food, water, energy, security, barterabilities. So uh, I, I mostly like silver for that, but there is some barterable gold uh, for tax purposes. Uh, wealth preservation, that's where I go into my the collectible coins. I'm not a big fan of bullion because I, I believe there's going to be an overt confiscation because our whole lives have been doing covert confiscation through inflation and, and price suppression. Um, a community, which is arguably, I think, the most important diversifier that everybody needs to do because not everybody has every single skill set they need to have a reasonable standard of living. So coming together, as you said earlier in my intro, coming together in community, we all have our strengths, we all have our gifts and the things that we bring to the table. You have a nice diversified a pool of people. Some people know how, like the little community that I'm building in my bug out area, the people that are part of it. I have farmers, I have teachers, I have doctors, I have army guys, you know, sharpshooter security guys. So there's diversity in that community so that we can come together and be okay. Uh, and um, and shelter because you obviously have to have a place to live. So that's how I've diversified without any doubt. Most of my wealth is held in physical gold and silver, mostly gold more than silver. Um, but I, th this is, you know, that has not always been the case. I mean, I'm an ex-stock broker. I owned product. I owned stocks. Mm. Uh, I owned mutual funds. I own that stuff. I don't own any of it anymore. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's interesting that you're talking about these other angles. I'm really feeling the community vibe. I'm really feeling that like the more we go back to our tribal roots of like community sticking together and helping each other out, providing food and skills for each other, you can pretty much get through any environment with that kind of strong connection. And I think if we had really strong connections like that, or the markets that did have strong connections like that survived a lot more of these COVID shutdowns and will survive more of what's what's coming um and it's an opportunity for us to just kind of like forget the noise that's in front of us there's so much social media and all of this nonsensical fake stuff and metaverse right. and thing isn't even real and yeah, you don't uh, own anything and you're going to be happy but guess what somebody's going to own all this stuff yeah. and you're going to have to rent yeah yeah and they'll actually be pretty happy, so happy. But, but yeah, it's, we, you know, pulling together communities and actually reaching out and doing weird things like getting to know your neighbors and um, getting to know yeah. people. What a concept. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really feeling that. And I'm just feeling that's, that's super important um, to pull together. So you want to go back through that list again? You were talking about food. Food, water, water. energy, security, barterability, wealth preservation, community and shelter. Yeah, wow. Awesome. 
Because if we were just talking about financial assets, they're only going to get us so far. Like you, you have a strong barterability piece that might be able to get you through, but we, we may not be able to go to the grocery store or go to the department store and get all the things that we need at that time. We're going to have to improvise, right? Potentially. Yes, exactly. Look, I can tell you, I just ordered 10 cases of toilet paper yesterday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know based off our previous conversations that you're ready for 10 years, right? Is that about mm -hmm. where you're at? You're, you're ready to be able to survive independently and in your community for 10 years without the need of reaching out and, and, and filling in the pieces. Um, I think anybody who's prepared themselves for two years is in a much better position than, than most other people. But 10 years, I mean, I think that's going to weather just about any storm. Um, and this not all big one. This isn't just like the 70s where we were transitioning from, from because the gold backing had pretty much, we had already reneged on that, right? So this was a transition definitely, but this one is more like a revolution because we are going into the digital age. No doubt about that. What we don't know yet is who's going to actually be there on the other side of this. Mm -hmm. So there's really a battle royale that's going on between, you know, central banks and governments and their CBDCs to, to remain in control of the monetary system and these private crypto assets. But governments do not like competition. Mm -hmm. So that's why they've suppressed the price of gold and silver. And, but at the end of the day, because people say to me all the time, oh, well, can they do this forever? They can do it until it benefits them not to do it. And that will be when all confidence in them is lost. And there's not much there left now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's also when you will see the hyperinflation kick into big gear. Because I could be wrong. I don't think I am. Because I'm generally not wrong about these kinds of things. Because I'm guided. Mm -hmm. But I think we've already begun it, the, the entry to the hyperinflationary stage. Yeah. I don't think this inflation is temporary. I don't think it's going to go down, really. I think they may make it look like it goes down a little bit. Um, but I think that there's going to be some really hard realities for most people, unfortunately. Yeah, I think we're definitely at the point of no return. Just seeing the madness oh. of what's happening, it's just like... This, this has to happen. It has to come to fruition. And part of me just wants it just to happen now so it can be done. Um, but it's also good to let people that aren't prepared have a little bit more time to get their shit together so they can actually do something because even the average common person who was thinking everything was sunshine lollipops one, two years ago is starting to go, wait up a minute here. This is not looking too good. <laughs> I'm, filling yeah, up my, exactly. I'm filling up my gas tank and it's costing over a hundred bucks. This is not a good scenario and it's not getting any better. Um, so uh, we've talked about gold, silver, we've talked about communities and water. Um, dare I say that you have any interest in cryptocurrencies? Um, not yet. Not yet? People think that I know, people that are really into cryptos, they, they think that I know nothing because they made a lot of money, mm -hmm. right? And so therefore, but I've been watching Bitcoin. I don't think it was a coincidence that it came out 
in uh, January of 2009 and we started QE in March of 2009. And that it looks really similar to the NSA white paper from 1996. So I definitely do pay attention and I can see, uh, I can see the underlying blockchain having some benefits. I can see cryptocurrencies having some benefits, mm -hmm. but I have yet to find one person even that can give me more than one utility of a cryptocurrency. We're not talking blockchain, we're talking cryptocurrencies mm -hmm. uh, because they've just become a trading vehicle for Wall Street. Mm -hmm. And I do think that anybody thinks that they're outside of the system, well, they need to just turn on Bloomberg or CNBC and they'll see how not outside of the system they really are. So uh, I have a great deal of interest in them. I pay attention to them quite a bit. I don't talk about it quite a bit mm -hmm. um, for different reasons, uh, but uh, no, I don't know who's gonna survive yet. What I do know is my gold will survive cause that's withstood the test of time. Cryptocurrencies are in their infancy. Yeah, or maybe their toddlerhood. Yeah, and there's a lot of question marks there. I'm actually heavily invested in uh, Bitcoin mining and on the operations sides. We've been running quite a few funds. We've got some more coming up soon. We're very bullish on that, but I can't say we really know what's happening with cryptocurrencies long term. It seems to be like a good short term play, at least for the for the near future. Um, but yeah, I, I think cryptocurrencies have a lot of potentiality, a lot of question marks too. Um, yeah, and like you referenced before, there's probably a lot of studs that think they're the next best thing because they've made some money in crypto. Um, but you know, there's a lot of volatility to it as well. Well, there is, and I would point this out too that as they're transitioning to a new system, you've heard of the Roaring Twenties, right? Mm -hmm. They were transitioning into a new fiat system, so they wanted the public to participate and the best way to make them participate was to let them have lots of money. And you've heard of the greedy 80s, right? Mm -hmm. After 1971, as we were in, you know, transitioning into a pure debt-based system, greed is good, right? And so we had that whole period. Now we've done the same thing with cryptocurrencies. So I'm looking at it not as something new and novel, but it's something that is a typical pattern. Yeah. So much of this is patterns. You know, I actually read a book by Harry Dent called Zero Hour, and he's talking about like 17 different cycles that are around about crossing over right now. Real estate cycles, stock market cycles, um, revolutionary cycles. And, um, yeah. and then interestingly, I went and researched and I found out that a lot of astrological cycles are, are tied up with these same different cycles. I yeah, I found that really interesting. Um, but so this is where we can actually kind of predict like these things that are happening are meant to be happening. They're supposed to be right. happening. It's, it's almost like saying that the economy's got a flu and it needs to detox itself and snot everything out and get rid of it. Um, and then there's health and prosperity and, and goodness on the other side of it. Um, but we have to make it through this tunnel, right? Well, and, and, you know, we have to come together as a bigger, broader community because I can guarantee you very few things, but this one I can guarantee you for sure. If we allow the people that got us into this mess to remain in power after this mess, after everything has been wiped out, then we're just starting that cycle again. 
Mm. So I think that we have an opportunity and we don't need everybody to get it. We need maybe three, 4% of the population to mm. get what's happening and say, no, that's not okay with me. I mean, do you really want the Federal Reserve to have the flipping ability? You're not spending enough money. Push a button. You watch your principal just go down like that. You're not spending any money. Yeah. So what are you going to do? That gives them absolute direct access to control you 100% if everything you have is inside of this system. That is not okay with me. No, not at all. That's a very scary uh, concept to even wrap our heads around. And we're, we're closer to that potentially than a lot of us actually think. Um, and Look at China's really showing the world how to control a population, aren't they? Yeah. And that's what they do. They test different areas, you know, and they do it in countries so people can go, oh, well, that's over there. That could never happen here when it actually is happening here. Yeah. Maybe not as overtly, but we were all locked in our houses for a very the, long time. The other thing I know, because I'm from Australia and I've traveled all over the world and lived in different countries, America typically plays news that relates to America. And if there's any international news that gets played on mainstream media, it's what America is doing in relation to that country. They're not actually talking about Poland's having a bank run right now, but they're not talking about Venezuela or Argentina or any of that stuff that would actually give us some hints and clues that a lot of yeah. what could happen here is already happening or has happened in other places. Um, but going back to your previous comment about, you know, three, four percent of leaders stepping up, I'm feeling that's already happening, too. And that there's people already yeah. stepping out to say, hey, let's teach people about financial freedom because schools aren't teaching us that they're teaching you how to be an employee. And um, I'm seeing a lot of people lose faith in the medical system. And there's probably going to be tons of doctors that are going to bail out of that system and create a more rational system that actually is based around health and, and not right. a business around, you know, the pharmaceuticals Profit. and everything like that. Um, Profit so for patients. Yeah. And I can really, I'm already starting to feel that. I don't think we're like really, really seeing it yet, but I'm starting to feel that transition already happening in yes, place. I, I agree. Yeah. That's what gives me hope because I'm seeing it too. And I'm seeing it in the younger generation. Me, I'm old, you know, I'm 67. I'll probably be around another 33 years. I do all of this for my children and my grandchildren and for my great grandchildren that aren't even born yet. For everybody's grandchildren and great grandchildren, because I would like to think that we can leave a world to them where they have they can dream and they can make those dreams come true. And what the powers that be want, they don't dream. Just do what we say and just follow. This is the sharing economy. You don't need to own anything. We're going to share a little bit with you, but we're going to charge you for it. You know, it seems to me like, like those that are in power want us to go back to feudal times where you have one person that owns like everything around them and they can charge as much rent as possible. That's not okay. That's not the future that mm -hmm. I want to see for my children, my grandchildren, my great grandchildren, and on down the line, all the generations to come. Yeah. 
We're here for a reason, Lynette. We were born at the time we were meant to be born. We're here for a reason. We're having this conversation for a reason because we're meant to make a difference. A hundred percent. That's what I was told when I was four. I know it sounds weird, but, um, and, I'm, and I've been told things throughout my life. And it, it's amazing when I'm sitting there working and weird things will just pop up. Like I wasn't even looking for that. It was like, holy crap, you know? So, you know, yeah, we, yeah, we're making a difference and it's a good thing. Excellent. I really appreciate all the work that you're doing. And I'd like to finish this on a little bit more of a positive note. Um, what has got you most excited about the next 12 to 24 months? Huh, the next 12 to 24 months, I really do see a lot of opportunity. I see a lot of, of younger people. And, and like you said, I think that the movement um, to take back control and create a more fair system is growing. And that's what gives me hope. And that's what, that's what I see very, very positive that could potentially come out of this is that we do end up with a much more fair system because these cards are stacked against everybody. Mm. And that's not okay. And a lot of all we have to do in some cases is simply just say, no, no, I'm not going to accept that new system or no, I'm not going to support this new thing that you're trying to introduce to us. Um, because when we do support it, we're giving power to it and we're letting it thrive. And, and keep in mind too, you know, a lot of power, we have the power of the purse. So we can make choices to spend locally and mm. support your local community so the money stays in there. Support those mom and pops that have absolutely been decimated. Though this is not new, that trend has been going on since 2000 with allowing Amazon. Amazon didn't need to make profits. Wall Street was supporting them. But mom and pops have to have to make profits to stay in business. So I would encourage everybody to come together. Community is such a big word. You know, we just talked about the community on the mountain. Okay, that's fine. But even in your local community, get to know your neighbors because they could save your butt and you could save their butts. So, you know, that's what gives me hope because I do see more and more people leaning in that direction. But, you know, become a community wherever you are. It will serve everybody well. And I think you're a prime example of doing that. So obviously you've got your property that you're at right now, which is your bug out property off grid, all of the freedoms that you set up for yourself, but you also live in um, downtown Phoenix and you've got half an acre there of very, very, very maximized land where you're self-sustainable. Um, you've got your own tilapia pond, you've got vegetables, you've got, you do you want to just fill us in on what you've got going on there? Everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, my neighbors know that they can come and they can take a zucchini. They just don't hurt the plant uh, because I did plant out my whole yard. And I, you're right. I live, I live smack dad in central Phoenix. And um, there, there are a lot of, you know, I see homeless people walking through the property. I planted what I call my food hedge. So there's Cernum cherries and pomegranates and citrus and moringa and all of this 
so that if somebody happens to be walking by and they're hungry, they can pick a pomegranate and they can come back every day and pick a pomegranate or cherries or whatever. Um, I'm good with that. That's really cool. Why I did it. And I think it's very um, intuitive and it's a good reminder that no matter what our circumstances, there's probably more than we can do right now with the resources that we have, grow more plants, get a little bit more water, get a little bit more food, reach out to your neighbors, um, join your local CSA and get some vegetables from your farm, support your local farms because a lot of farms being shut down too. Oh my and God, yes. Our food Definitely. supply is really being hit hard, which is a whole nother topic we don't need to digress on, but I'm sure you're researching that just as much, right? It's, oh, it's 100%, pretty, yes. Yeah. So there and, is- and when, when we look at the price increases at the grocery store, right? What if you're growing your own food? It's mm -hmm. more nutritious, you know, the fertilizer and, and put in pots because there's a whole big issue with fertilizer, but not for me because I put in five ponds on my little teeny half acre. They don't have to be big. They just have to have fish in them. And that's my fertilizer. I don't have to worry about, you know, not being able to get fertilizer. I don't have to worry about the food prices going up in the store because now here we're putting up um, hot houses. So grow stations, uh, three geodesic dome grow houses. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna try and grow enough food for like 40 people and you can grow up. And I'm not a farmer. I'm not even, well, I would call myself a gentlewoman farmer cause I don't do the physical labor, but I enjoy it. And, um, you know, but yeah, grow your own food. If that's all you did, even if you're in a condo, you know, you can have your, uh, an aquaponic system with a little fish tank, a little 10 gallon fish tank with some goldfish in it on the bottom on just a regular little shelf that you can get at any, you know, I kind of like ACE because they're locally owned, you know, uh, but you can get that at any box store. If you have room for that shelf, then you can put plants up there and have the water funnel down and you can at least grow some of your food. And I, th I think people should realize with all these price spikes and, and everybody now admitting about the famine, you know, the yeah. coming famine, there's a lot of people, it's already happening. There are a lot of people that are hungry, which kills me. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah, and I would say the time to buy all that stuff is now because, you know, people are going to start buying fish tanks and all these kinds of things. And next thing you know, you can't even get your hands on some or they yep. cost $1,000 or something like that. So a lot of things we yep. can do. I really, really thank you so much for your time. Um, how do all our freedom hackers out there keep the conversation going with you? Well, uh, I have a pretty big presence on YouTube. So you can either Google my name or search my name rather. Lynette Zhang or ITM Trading. We are a full service physical gold and silver dealer. So unless you do this inside of an IRA, I mean, honestly, if you don't hold it, you don't own it. We ship the metals directly to you. And I think you need to like accumulate. Uh, we also started a new channel called Beyond Gold and Silver, which talks about all the other parts of the mantra. So the food, water, energy, security, barterability, community, and shelter. So we're really working on being, uh, you know, creating this huge library for people at whatever level they're starting on. 
So that's, you could just BGS, Beyond Gold and Silver. We have a YouTube channel and a site now. Beyond Gold and Silver. That's awesome. Love it. Make sure you tap into these resources, guys. Check out all of the wonders that Lynette Zhang actually provides. She puts a lot of research into the information that she puts out there. And she's actually literally doing the things that she's sharing with you as well. So she's a prime yep. example. Uh, thank you so much for being authentic. Thank you so much for being you and uh, going against the grain because I know a lot of what we've spoken about can be shunned upon and um, we have to wear that on our sleeves. And um, you're a very courageous woman. Thank you very much for all that you've shared with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you so much for having me on. And I hope to see you again. Absolutely. Any final words? Just be good to each other because we need all the kindness that we can and accumulate what you need to have and sustain a reasonable standard of living, but create that community. Beautiful. Well, thank you very much, Lena. It's been an absolute pleasure for all of our freedom hackers. Until next week, I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. Live large and live free. G'day, this is Bryce Robertson. I'm your host here at Freedom Hack Radio, and I truly, truly hope that you got a ton of value out of the episode that we just shared with you. And if you did, make sure to subscribe on your YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. Hit the notification button so you can find out about the next episodes as they come out. Because if you haven't achieved financial time and location freedom, you really need to be dialed in here. So make sure to subscribe and follow us along as you grow on your path to financial time and location freedom here at freedom hack radio <laughs> <laughs>